That song is such a good intro into the book of Isaiah, which we see the prophets throughout the Old Testament uh, declaring that, prepare the way for the Lord. And that's what uh, we want to do during this Advent season. Uh, We're in this uh, series called, And His Name Shall Be Called, from Isaiah 9, chapter Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And last week, uh, Pastor Harry began this series on the first title of Wonderful Counselor and how Jesus, and even as we go into the New Testament and we see through his spirit, he is the counselor, the advocate, the comforter, the helper. And today we want to look at the second name of Almighty God, these royal names of Jesus that we see in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6. And today we'll look at uh, uh, Almighty God. And how does this Almighty God work in power? How does this Almighty God work in power in the world, in that, that we live, in our society? How does it work, uh, this Almighty God work in our own lives? Isaiah was a prophet who was based in Jerusalem and was a prophet who called the people to prepare the way for the Lord, who called the people back to God, to the living God, to turn from their ways and to seek after God. And if you read through the book of Isaiah... You see so clearly this tension that is there of an almighty God who is holy and who is judge and who is set apart and who cannot be in the presence of sin and also this almighty God who is grace and this almighty God who initiates and who reconciles his people. And so the book of Isaiah holds that tension and has both of those so much woven throughout all of the pages and all of the chapters that you read. And the text that we're going to look at today, again, hold that tension as well. So for us, for each one of us, just like the people that Isaiah was writing to in that time, we each deal with God in different ways. We each encounter God and will deal with God in one way or another. God will either be the sanctuary that gives us peace, or he'll be the one that we continually stumble over as we attempt to live our lives without him. And he allows us to choose. But the reality of God and the implications of the reality of God will be there for each one of us throughout our lives. So here's the question that I want you to be processing this morning. As I share just from these verses and as I share some thoughts from this text, I want you to be processing this question of what does power look like to you? What does power look like to you? As you think of Almighty God and you think of the powerful God that an Almighty God is, what does power look like to you? Now, depends on what sector of your life you're thinking about. It depends on how you're wired. Power will have different implications for you. It'll have different images that come to mind. Let me just share a few of them. If you're a computer geek, power will be about the processor in your computer. And you'll be thinking, okay, how much power do I need in order to do the gaming that I do or the graphics that I do or whatever the case may be? And, and so you might have debates about what is the most powerful in terms of that. Maybe it's the Intel i7-5820K, or maybe it's the AMD A8-7670K. I have no idea what those are. I just looked them up. But maybe that's what power looks like for you, right? Okay. Or maybe, maybe you're different. Maybe you're a gearhead. Okay, somebody who loves engines and trucks. Okay, and and by the way, I understand that computer geeks and gearheads actually feel that those are terms of endearment, so that's not offensive to them. If I'm wrong, you can tell me afterwards, but that's my understanding. So maybe you're a gearhead and you're somebody who really loves like truck engines and you're 
your power issue and what power means to you is related to that in terms of light-duty trucks. And so the debate is, okay, what, what's the most powerful engine? Is it the Chevy 6.2-liter V8 or is it the Cummins 5.0-liter V8 turbo diesel? Again, I have no idea what those mean. I think my truck is a six-cylinder, but I'm actually not sure. Sorry to confess that. Or maybe you're a romantic and you think power, and maybe if you're around my age, you remember Huey Lewis in the news and the power of love. Some of you are nodding. Some of you are oblivious. Back in high school in my day, that was a great song, and it talked about the power of love. So it depends on how you come to this question. But what does power mean to you? It means different things. Usually when we want power, we experience some kind of darkness. Sometimes there is darkness there. Now, I'm not just talking about when the power goes out, but even there, we usually are waiting for power to come back on because there's darkness. But if you're in a season of darkness, if you're in a place in your life or a window of time in your life where there is darkness in one form or another, typically we are looking for the power of God. And we're saying, God, where are you? We feel powerless, maybe. Maybe God feels silent. The context of Isaiah chapter 9 is like that. It's a context that is also about darkness. It's a people who are looking for God's power. They were looking for something different because they, in many ways, felt powerless. They felt extreme darkness, and they were trying to live in the context of that. Just go to the verses preceding Isaiah chapter 9 at the very end of Isaiah chapter 8 says this, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. This is the context that is right in front of us in Isaiah chapter 9. And we wonder, what does darkness look like? Who is it that the people that are crying out for darkness? I don't know about you, but I, when I watch the news and I see what is going on in a city like Aleppo, and I go, oh Lord, I can't imagine the darkness. And sometimes it's even hard to know how to pray, but it's like, Lord, would you as almighty God break into that darkness in some way. And I, I cannot imagine the desperation and the hurt and the anguish that is there for those people. But in some ways, maybe it's similar to what these people that are being written to here in Isaiah chapter 9 are experiences. I don't know. But I know that they are in darkness and I know that things are happening to them and are about to come upon them and that they are in the midst of that will be incredibly challenging where God seems silent and absent. But then in the mid in the middle of that darkness is this word in Isaiah 9, verse 1. In a number of translations, it has this word, nevertheless. So out of that context that I just read at the end of chapter 8, it begins with this word, nevertheless. In other words, okay, that may be reality, and this may be your experience, and this might be true, but in spite of that, regardless of that, nevertheless, something else is going to happen. You see, the people of Israel, they had rejected God. They had chosen their own way. They were trusting human glory and the power of neighboring armies rather than the power of God himself. 
And because of this, it had plunged them into darkness. And the God who had been their protection and the God who had been their guide, who even in the earlier days who had been their pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night, who had led these people, guided these people, protected these people, and now it was a very different story. Now this very same God was allowing them to feel the consequences of their sin and how they had become the prey of the nations that they in fact were trusting to protect them. And it's a very different story. It's a very deep darkness that they are in. And then in 9 verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And here is this God of hope, this God who brings light into darkness, this God who brings a word to a people who are desperate, this God who brings a word that is to these people who are in darkness that they cannot imagine or fathom. And it speaks to this transition that despite all of this, despite all of the darkness, all of the despair, that there is hope, that there is a new day coming, that a Savior is about to break into the scene that will change everything. I want to read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. And I I just ask you to, to listen to these words. I don't have them on PowerPoint intentionally, and I'd even encourage you you have your Bibles in front of you, maybe just close your eyes and just listen to these words as the prophet Isaiah speaks this word of hope in this dark time. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you a people rejo- as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms Bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. What an incredible truth. And I can only imagine a word of hope that was spoken to these people who were experiencing this darkness. That this darkness would not go on forever. That a light will shine. That a wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace will break into the darkness and will change everything. You see, in this text, we, we get a, a window and a glimpse into the character and the purposes of God. What is the purpose of darkness for Israel? What about in our own lives when we experience those seasons of darkness as well? We see in this text that God is a God of grace and that if God humbles a person or a nation, it's ultimately to honor them and to lift them up and to restore them. Commentator John Oswald, he says it this way, How God brings us down only 
because of our sinfulness and our humanness, and it's the only way that, it can, that he can raise us up again. God is in the business of restoration, restoring people, restoring nations, and oftentimes through periods of deep darkness, just like these people were experiencing at that time. And so the truth of this text is, is that this unusual God is, is giving some good news. He's giving some incredibly good news, that there is a God who is with us. There is a God who wants to turn our darkness into light, our conflict into shalom and all that that entails, our loss into abundance, our despair into hope. And throughout the Old Testament, you see time and time again where God speaks those words in the midst of darkness. And I hope and pray that you have experienced as well that that God has spoken those kinds of words, that his Holy Spirit has just whispered those words into your life in your times of darkness as well. I think of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20 to 24, another well-known text that is written after the captivity and after the destruction. And and here is, is what it says in verse 20. It says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope. When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's a well-known passage that many of us know in different translations. And we maybe quote that and we talk about God's mercies new every morning and so on. But if you read Lamentations, it's in the context of incredible darkness and despair. And it's a declaration of faith of saying, regardless of what I find myself in and the circumstances that I am in today, that I will believe that the living God brings mercies that are new every morning. That there is hope. That there is somebody who holds all things together that we can trust. This is God with us. This is Emmanuel. If you flip back in Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14, it it is that verse where it is speaking of this Emmanuel, where the prophet Isaiah says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. May you know and may we experience the God who is with us, especially in our darkness. In John chapter 1, as you go into the New Testament, you see the same truth and the same theme being proclaimed. As John, as the gospel writer, he says this about Jesus. It says, His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then in verse 14, it captures this picture of Emmanuel. John chapter 1, verse 14. Of God with us. It says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is the God we worship. This is the God that we wait for, for his return again one day. We'll bring all things to completion. When we see the devastation in the world, when we see and feel the pain and the implications of that in our lives, to understand and to trust in this God who breaks into the darkness with his incredible light. His name is Jesus. So I want to go back to the question that I began with. What does power look like to you? What does power look like? Of an almighty God. If you go into the Psalms and 
And the Psalms have many texts, and we could spend a long time just walking through all the songs that point to God's mighty power. Let me just touch on a couple. One of my favorites is Psalm 33, which I've quoted many times. And it talks about how the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created and he breathed the word and all the stars were born. And I just love that imagery of, of God as the star breather. He is the one who just breathed and spoke the word and the, and the stars were formed. I mean, you want to talk about power, that is power. He assigned the seas to its boundaries, locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Here's a guy who just spoke the word and the world was created. It appeared at his command. So the psalmist tells us. You know, you come to psalms like that and the myth of human power is shattered, isn't it? And even lately as we've been seeing and watching the whole political landscape in the United States change and this battle for power and what human power is and political power is, and then you read these words and these truths of the psalmist and you go, wow, human power really looks pale and frail compared to that. God is sovereign. God is on the throne. And God, again, will either be our sanctuary that gives us peace or the one that we continually stumble over as we attempt to live our lives without him. That's what Isaiah is speaking to. Or let's look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46 talks about how God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. In verse 3, it says, Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. God's voice thunders in verse 6, and the earth melts. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. This is how the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. So often I find myself praying those words, and in this translation, New Living Translation, it talks about the Lord of heaven's armies, and just praying and declaring that, God, you are the God of heaven's armies. That is power. And then if you continue on in chapter 46 of the Psalms, you also see that power is found in stillness, and in small things. Because the psalmist goes on to say, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. God's power is so often displayed in stillness. It's so often displayed in small things. God's power is so often displayed in ways that actually don't make sense in our culture's eyes. They view power in a certain way and God's power comes out in very different ways at times. And even within our own spirit, within our own soul, we want to fix things. We want to work on things. We want to address things. We want to strategize. We want to change things in our own power. And yet, at times, God just calls us to stillness, which is why we need seasons like Advent that just cause us and call us to pause and to wait and to anticipate and to long for the one who breaks into the darkness. There's no better example, I don't think, of how God's power is so often so different than what the world would expect. There is no greater example than the most astounding story that has ever happened in the history of the world. And that is not an overstatement. The most astounding story that this God, this almighty God, whose voice thunders, who the earth melts before, who leads heaven's armies, who breathed the stars into place, became small, vulnerable, and humble in the form of a child born among the animals. What power is this? It's just a really different kind of power. That the transcendent becomes one of the created. 
that the morally perfect now experiences the implications and the weight of the sin of the world, that the infinite becomes finite, that the one who is immortal now becomes mortal, that Almighty God is with us as a baby. Can you imagine the, just the cry in the darkness in Bethlehem that night? As this baby cries out, and people who may have been able to hear that, that little small voice, probably not thinking much about it, but think, think of the implications of that power, of that baby crying as a vulnerable child in the darkness. Humility, smallness, stillness is an unusual kind of power. This is when God breaks in to a darkness and he reveals himself as the almighty God. Think in your own life, and I trust that you've experienced this in different ways, where power comes in very small things. Power comes in very simple acts. Power comes in ways that it can change something very suddenly by very small actions. Think of the power of an apology of just simply saying, I'm sorry. Where you actually give up your rights and you stop defending and you just acknowledge that you were wrong and you go, I'm sorry. That's powerful. It can change things in a moment. Think of the act of foot washing. Maybe not literally, but maybe literally. I've seen that too. Where the act of foot washing of some kind, where it is the humbling of one person to serve another in an extravagant way, in a way that actually feels awkward and uncomfortable. But when an action like that takes place, and the simple humility and quietness of that is incredibly powerful. And it can break things in the heavenly realms. Think of the power of extending grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it who has done nothing to deserve it in any way, shape, or form. But the power of that simple act of humility and stillness and quiet. Think of the power of prayer in the stillness and the quietness of your room, even in how you feel maybe really small and insignificant. And yet Scripture tells us that the Lord of heaven's armies hears you responds, chooses to respond to our prayers. Power comes in all kinds of forms. Our world looks for it in a certain form, but Scripture teaches us, Isaiah teaches us, that that power has very different expressions than what we might expect. Power and stillness and small things. The most astounding event in all of human history didn't end in the manger. Jesus grew in stature and purpose. The life of ministry that he led, as we read about through the gospel stories, that led to the cross, his death and his resurrection. Again, humility, self-sacrifice, and unusual power of Jesus willingly walking to the cross for us. And even when he was there on the cross, it was like all of heaven's armies could have taken him and removed him down from that cross. And yet, no, no, in humility to just sit there and die, in agony and in shame, for our sake. That's a different kind of power of an almighty God. It shattered the chains of death and darkness. 1 John chapter 1 is one place that speaks to that of so many. 
And again, John is, is writing and declaring this truth of what Jesus does as he breaks into the darkness and the power of the cross. And he says, this is the message that we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the light that breaks into the darkness. This is the continuation of the story of the manger scene that continues to the cross. This is the most incredible story in all of human history. Of a God who humbled himself and who broke into the world the almighty God and who changed everything, everything. By taking into himself the sin and oppression, the horror and the tragedy of this world, he was able to give back righteousness and freedom, hope and fulfillment. So what does the power of the almighty God look like in your darkness? And have we allowed the child king, this almighty God, the one who came as a baby to take over the government of our lives. Because only then can we know the power of God with us, Emmanuel. Would you stand with me as we pray and invite the worship team up? And I want to just conclude in a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are a holy God, that you are a righteous God, that you are a God who is judge, but you are a fair judge. And we praise you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you broke into the darkness, that you break into the darkness in Aleppo and in places like that in ways that we cannot see or understand, even in the midst of pain and agony in different places in our world today. That you break into the darkness in in a place like we read about in Isaiah that was going through and experiencing some incredible oppression and tragedies and murder and strife and darkness that we cannot fathom. And Lord, that you are a God who breaks into the darkness of our lives, whatever we are experiencing, whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in, that you are an almighty God and we praise you for that. May we look to you in the stillness, in the smallness, in the humility of how you came. And God, may we live our lives out of that. May we draw a deep strength from your power by your Holy Spirit through what you have done. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you and we worship you that you are a different kind of king, that you are almighty God, and we praise you. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Amen.